Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. At the moment, no, and, and in the short term, it doesn't look really good. You know, the the sentiment of many an analysts, they're they're still very bleak. They they think that the the worst is yet to come, uh, and that's usually bad news for riskier assets like crypto. But one of the, the most amazing things to, you know, I guess just to conclude from the last bull run that we had is that people are using it, right? In the last kind of bull run that happened around crypto in, I think that was around 2017, 2018, before, you know, before it, it just quieted down. Many of it was just a concept, you know, it was just a small group of people that believed in something, right? And then it just it fizzled out. But in this last bull run, you had so many people who did not own any crypto, they did not participate in Web3, finally come into this space, right? So while the sentiment and, and you know prices of your favorite cryptocurrencies aren't as high as they, uh, they used to be, use case and, and bullishness, I think, is just at an all-time high. Because now you have all of these projects emerge, now you have all of these companies show you know regular folks how they can use crypto, how they can use NFTs. And I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited for it. And if you're an entrepreneur, no, I think participating and just you know just taking a look at it, I think that's the best thing that you could do. Because at the end of the day, I think blockchain, I think Web3, I think all of these token-gated experiences, right? This is what's going to be the backdrop of most businesses. At uh, the same way right now, the backdrop of businesses now are you know, social networks, uh, social media, content. Eventually, you know, Many businesses are going to move into this space. It's just going to be a natural thing. And the way that I see it, no, RJ, I'm, I'm in a very fortunate spot because uh, I feel like I'm where many people, many business owners and entrepreneurs were at in the late 1990s, you know, the, just before people came online and all of the opportunities that, that came after that. I feel like I'm in the same spot. And, and if you're a businessman and you're looking for the next opportunity, I think there are tons to, to take advantage of in this space. No? And, and the, the best part, if you're listening to this now, you're still kind of early. Right? It's not too late to join in. Uh, and in fact, I would argue that this is the best time to take a look at it. Now Now that the sentiment is at uh, more manageable levels and uh, you know people are a little bit more uh, reasonable. <laughs> and good evening, good afternoon, good morning to wherever you are watching from here in the Philippines and from all over the world. And join, thank you so much for joining me here in my podcast, the RJ Ledesma Podcast. In this podcast, I interview the country's pioneering and leading business personalities and entrepreneurs to learn more about how they think about doing business. What are their success secrets? Can we apply those success secrets in our own businesses? How have they innovated, pivoted, evolved their businesses during this pandemic? And more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging in this newer normal 
Is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please drop me a message. I would love to learn from them. Just let me know. We're also live right now on Kumu, CBRC TV, Global Pinas TV, and now the Bounce Back Network tonight. If you are somebody who wants to learn more about Web3 and the metaverse, but you need to start off with a sort of like a 101 class on learning about Web3, this is the place to be. Tonight, I'll be interviewing Miggy Azurin, who is the CEO of the Mega Maxi. It is a Web3 media company that delivers the latest news about events on crypto, on non-fungible tokens or NFTs, a play-to-earn gaming, and the metaverse. Now, the Mega Maxi is Miggy's passion project to provide high-quality content to inspire and educate users in all things that are NFT and play-to-earn game related. At the same time, the company recently closed an investment that will help fund its mission to bring the next 1 billion users to Web3. I want to learn more about that from Miggy here right now. But there's something about his background which really resonates with me is that before becoming, he was you know, he's also a serial entrepreneur just like me. But he also calls himself a serial failure because he's had so many attempts in entrepreneurship. He's been in tech, in food, and recruitment. But, you know, just like myself, I've been in many different industries as well. And usually, the mentality of many people who are serial entrepreneurs is that, you know, failure is just part of the growth mentality. You're learning something from each of these industries piecemeal. And when you get finally to your passion project or the project that actually grows and becomes successful, everything you've learned from these smaller projects uh, you know, they come together finally, you gain insight from all of them, and the bigger picture is built with your more successful project. So with that, uh, let's welcome Miggy Azarin of the Mega Maxi. Miggy, welcome to the show. RJ, thank you so much. Super excited to be here. Yeah, this is great. I, I love listening to your show, so this is, a, this is an honor. <laughs> well, th- thanks so much. I'm so glad that you're, you're enjoying listening to the show. And I'm joined that I have people also listening to the show and learning from what you have to share here today, Miggy. Now, before everything else, no? Tell me a bit more about, you know, you were, you were a serial entrepreneur and you've got Mega Maxi. But this Mega Maxi business, this is not a startup, but basically this is a, a sort of a news. It's a news media. Is that right? Yes. Uh, we're a media company, basically. So we create content around NFTs, crypto, and anything around the space. Got that. Um, and like you said, no, you were a serial entrepreneur and a serial failure. And you came into putting up something about the information about Web3. What made you curious enough to actually set something up like this one? And what sort of differentiates uh, the Mega Maxi from other sites which are doing the same thing about news? Yeah, so I discovered NFTs more than a year ago. And what, what's funny, pa RJ, is I was around crypto for some time because uh, the space that my business was in, we had tons of crypto and blockchain events happen. So it wasn't like I, I wasn't aware of it. But, you know, like many people, I, I didn't see the use case until very recently. So the, the very first NFT project that I got into is actually NBA Top Shot. So it's like these uh, digital collectibles. So instead of having physical trading cards, you buy, sell, and collect these digital video clips or highlights of the, of the basketball players that you like. And this was my, uh, this was my aha moment. I, I figured that, yeah, mm-hmm. this is the application of crypto that I didn't quite see early on. And I just fell into that rabbit hole. And in falling into that rabbit hole, I realized that there was a, a gap in information made available around the space. So when I finally felt confident enough to share, uh, I decided to start a, a media company around it. Got it. Now, 
Let's take a step back, no? I often tell people on this show, no, that people listening over here, there, there are two types. There, there might be people who are heavily into the startup community or heavily into crypto or Web3. And the other casual listeners, or I often say people like my dad, who's 78 years old, that if I tell him Web3 or crypto or NFT, you know, suddenly he just might go into a stroke because these things are things that just, you know, are not part of his wheelhouse, things that he does, he's not aware of. So let's start off, Muna, right now, uh, just to get some clarity with regard to the terms. It's a Web3 news site, but maybe for some people, they don't even know what the difference between Web1, Web2, Web3. And my wife is listening here right now very intently. She wants to understand all these different things. So please help me understand what's Web1, Web2, Web3. Yeah, sure. So very simply put, these are just iterations of the internet. So in Web1, this is when we went online and this is where content was made available for us to consume. This is also when communication channels started to run. So companies born here were Yahoo, uh, Google Search, MSN, Netscape. Uh, this is the first iteration, right? People consuming content online, people communicating online. And then we moved on to Web2. Mm-hmm. So this is when content became more personalized. This is when users were able to generate their own content. So you have platforms like Facebook, TikTok become popular because now people were able to contribute to the information made available in the internet. So Web3 So before it was like, Web1 was like one way, Web2 was two way. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Web2 was uh, obviously a game changer because now it wasn't just businesses or big institutions that created and then managed content. You could literally have somebody on the street walk up now with their phones, create content, upload it, and people are able to consume that. And that was just unheard of before, but now it's just, you know, it's a regular thing, right? And now Web3, it's really just that next step. It's that step towards decentralization. It's this idea that, you know, the internet should be decentralized. And to be able to do that, we need to be able to incorporate concepts like blockchain and, and token-based economics to, to fulfill that. Uh, but what's interesting, RJ, you know, is eventually... People are just going to be using these apps that are built in Web3. Uh, the same way now people are just using the internet, uh, the same way that people are just using Facebook and Twitter. It's just going to be in the background of what we do online. Uh, and Web3, just very simply put, it's that next step. It's the next next step. Now, having said that, there were a lot of terms also that, that you just shared with us that also might need some clarification. Like the first one, and I hope you don't mind that this is so sort of 101 thing for people listening now. Is yeah, all good. Decentralization. So, do you mean that the current Web 2 is centralized and Web 3 will become decentralized? Help us better understand those concepts. Yeah, so a great example of centralization and decentralization on, uh, in the internet are, you know, are driven by platforms like Facebook. So with Facebook, right, because we use it for free, essentially we are the product and we sell the data, our engagement, our behavior. We, we sell that to advertisers. Now, if I were outside of Facebook, I, I would not be able to access that data. I, I would not be able to take advantage of that. And because of that, you no, know, we've had all of these issues around data privacy uh, come around, right? And that's primarily because of the nature of Facebook. The data that they keep, it's only for them to use, and they will use it as they please. Now, the idea or the ideology behind decentralized databases or decentralized businesses is that this data that most Web2 companies kept for themselves, essentially becomes open for anyone and, and everyone to be able to use, to be able to build around, to be able to connect with. 
Yeah, so that's where we're headed. Uh, eventually, you know, we are going to be interacting with businesses that allow for essentially anyone to peek in and look at the data that they manage, look at the data that they build and grow. And you know, we're we're going to move away from the platforms like Facebook that have centralized data and you know use it as they please. Okay. Now, with that in mind, so we know more or less how decentralization works. That instead of just one source of information and one person being sort of like the, the guard of all the information. It's decentralized. Many different people have information. But then how does decentralization relate to what you said was blockchain? Maybe now first explain what blockchain is and then let's get into how it links to decentralization. Got it, got it. Okay. Yeah, so very simply put, blockchain technology is what allows for decentralization. It's this really savvy mechanic that was really popularized by Bitcoin, you know, the first and still the most popular cryptocurrency that allowed for, you know, you and me, for example, to interact and make a financial transaction in the case of Bitcoin without a third party intermediary, you know, facilitating that. So we don't need a bank. We don't need another institution to, to come in between us. We can just deal with each other directly. So that's made possible by blockchain technology. And that's what powers this whole sentiment around decentralization, because all of these other tokens that are building projects uh, in the Web3 space use some sort of blockchain technology, whether that's the, the version that we first saw around Bitcoin and Ethereum, or if it's more advanced or uh, other iterations of the same kind of sentiment. Got that. I uh, know, you know, blockchain and crypto or, or Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, that's a whole large topic here yeah. in itself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it would probably take more than an hour for us to discuss that one. But let me get into the more interesting things that people are really looking at right now. And what you have right now, which is basically the metaverse. And then you have also uh, uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And you also have your play-to-earn. And these are the kind of topics which you cover in Mega Maxi. If people want to check out Mega Maxi, uh, where can they visit right now? Let's show their website here on screen. That's www.themegamaxi.com. Uh, to come on this site, is there some sort of subscription or is it totally free of charge? No, it's, it's free. The content that we create around this is free for anyone to use and consume. Okay. And how often is this updated? Oh, it's updated almost every day. So uh, we're currently on a soft launch at the moment, but we have tons of content already lined up, you know, just waiting to be published and you know, just waiting to be finished also. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, fantastic. Now, having said that, people, please visit themegamaxi.com. 
Now, let's get back into all these different things that I, that I was talking about related to, of course, the Web3. And then the first one, I guess, is let's talk about what is the metaverse. Okay, so in layman's terms, again, like, Think of it, we were going to explain this to people, seniors who, who might not be able to appreciate that, or people who aren't tech savvy. What exactly is the metaverse? And after that, let's try to explain to people what are the opportunities for people who listen to my show, or basically people who are SME owners or small business owners, right, or MSMEs. What is their opportunity to engage in the metaverse? So first, let's explain what is the metaverse in the first place. Yeah, this is such a, a great question. Because I'm, I'm sure if you ask any NFT collector or anyone who's participating in Web3 at the moment, you're just going to get all of these different answers. The most common one, and I think the easiest one to digest, it's, it was really depicted, I thought, very entertainingly well uh, in the movie Ready Player One. So uh, have you watched that movie, RJ? I've seen it. I've seen parts of it, but haven't finished the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. So just a summary for the folks listening who haven't watched it. It's a movie about this guy who plays this game in, in the virtual world. And, and it's so immersive, it's so vast that it essentially is where most people in that world live in. Okay, so mm-hmm. I like that idea as a way to kind of represent the metaverse because that's where I feel like it's headed. The metaverse to me is just an immersive digital world where we get to interact and communicate with each other in ways that we didn't think was possible. Although I don't think it's going to be a substitute for you know things happening in the physical world, hopefully that's going to be the case that we're not just you know walking around with these headsets and just living online. But mm-hmm. it's just really the for me the next level. It's a new way for us to be able to uh, experience work, uh, life, uh, communities, you no, know, all done online and in these vast and uh, beautiful virtual worlds. Okay, now. So it's sort of like you are living, you, you can all interact in the virtual world, doesn't matter how far or how near you are. And of course, because Meta has been a word that was co-opted by Facebook. Now it's no longer Facebook, yeah. Meta is the company. And just to, for, for some people's clarification, I think Meta means Facebook, but Meta is larger than Facebook, right? That's correct. Yes. Meta is the use of the metaverse and many people play in the metaverse. Many companies play in the metaverse. Yes. And, and what you're seeing now, RJ, is just a race to, to build and, and to own space in, in, in the metaverse. Okay. Right? So you have all of these companies, whether they're Web2 companies coming into Web3, you know, very uh, companies like Facebook or Web3 native companies that are just building from uh, that space from scratch. They're all racing to build into this environment. And that's, you know, that's where a lot of the hype is coming from. You just, you have everyone talking about it because I think now there's a general understanding that this is where technology is headed. For any budding entrepreneur, it's just you know it's an opportunity that's uh, too good to pass up. So now you have more people coming into the space and building projects and businesses in uh, in Web three. Okay, you talk about budding entrepreneurs, and that's actually where I want to go uh, because you know entrepreneurs they're always you know it's an you know opportunity mindset that they're looking for. They but they don't quite understand how to use it, and many people are still grasp, sort of grasping at straws right now as to what is the business model that I can create in the metaverse? Or is it the case that get into it first, understand it, and eventually a model will evolve from it? Because, I mean, that's how many other businesses or startups start, right? Sometimes the business model isn't quite clear until you get into it. And it's only when you're into it that you figure out this is how you do business. So, Nikki, what, what, is, what is your take on that? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I want to be able to answer that by sharing a couple of examples you know, of how 
certain brands are building in the metaverse. So uh, one of my favorite examples has always been NBA Top Shot. Their dream is to be the social currency for NBA fandom. Right? So this is a great case study for big brands that would like to be able to you know, build a currency around specific fandom. So for example, uh, I'm, I'm a huge Chicago Bulls fan. On my NBA Top Shot profile now, because it's verifiable on the blockchain, anyone can see that I am this much of an NBA fan uh, or I'm this much of a Chicago Bulls fan specifically. So that's always still my favorite example for brands that are looking to build communities because now you can kind of measure right uh, how involved a person is in your community as a you know as a fan. Uh, another example that I really like uh, it's a it's a startup called Americana Technologies. So what they do, RJ, is actually really cool. They built this small chip that you attach to something physical. So it could be a piece of art, it could be furniture, it could be car anything physical, and you upload that information into the blockchain and it produces an NFT. So there's an NFT on the blockchain that represents an actual asset that has the chip you know, that's connected uh, by other technology. So again, a, a, great, a great example of the online coming offline and the offline making the online experiences richer and you know, uh, more diverse. And another example, one last, uh, is Samsung. So Samsung, they built a store in, in Decentraland. So Decentraland is a virtual world that's attracting all of these different creators. And Samsung decided, you know, it's a great idea to build out a store there and sell products there. Right? So all of these different ideas are coming in and it's just, it's a great application of that technology. Right? And the way that I see it, many of these smaller businesses in the next few years they are going to be interacting with businesses that are operating primarily in the metaverse. And eventually, they are going to be participants in this space as well. That's going to drive the economy right, um, in the metaverse soon. And eventually, it's just where we're going to be doing business and interacting with each other. Okay. So, for example, I understand you know, the examples of, um, of um, let's say, Americana and, and the, other, uh, the other examples you've given for, for the NBA. You know? But let's say for a smaller business here in the Philippines, as you know, 99% of the businesses here are, are small businesses. And the smaller ones, the mom and pops, will not be utilizing that just yet. In terms of low-hanging fruits, what do you see are the type of businesses that can leverage right now the use of the metaverse? What industries do you see have the best opportunity to start off with them right now? And how actually do they translate, for example, I understand you know, there's a currency generated, but how do they translate that from virtual currency to becoming real tangible currents? That's a great question. One of the industries that I see using NFTs really early on, I think earlier than most industries will, is actually retail, specifically fashion. I think people who are shoppers, you know, they're very tech savvy, they live and breathe online, and they represent or they like to represent the brands that they purchase. Right? So eventually, you are going to have your favorite retail brands generate and sell NFTs and you're going to want to buy them because it's tangible proof for you, tangible proof to, uh, to your peers that you are a big fan of this business. Right? So uh, to give you another example, RJ, uh, Nike acquired this really huge uh, NFT project. Uh, it's, it's called Clone X. And you know, this is their step into the metaverse. Right? So 
it's it's one way for you to be able to say that you are a fan of Nike, that you are a fan of what they do. Because now you have tangible proof, you know, aside from the products that they uh, that they sell. And this is really exciting because NFTs and and, and being able to issue NFTs as a as a retail brand, it's it's a great way for you to be able to build a community, to have people really actually say and prove that they support you by virtue of owning these NFTs. No? And you are going to have these kinds of enablers like Shopify, for example, that can token gate a store, right? And only allow access to people who have the NFT that you own as the brand. And that's going to be a, a normal occurrence. And I think it's going to replace the, the basic functions of a loyalty card right, or a membership card. And we're going to move towards that direction. And I think fashion specifically, no, it's, it's, it's an industry to watch out for because uh, I think it's going to drive a lot of adaptation no, around NFTs and, and the communities around it. Yeah. Uh, you, you used the word there called tokenization. And I guess people might understand what, what exactly do you mean by tokenization? Yeah. So... Shopify, right? They're an e-commerce builder. Uh, they're, they're an e-commerce website builder. They now have this feature where you can lock the store and then only open it to people who own the NFT that you sell. So let's say, for example, let's say uh, Miggy's uh, apparel. Uh, I issue an NFT and people who own the NFT, they, they connect to my store. And they are the only ones that have access to certain collections, for example. And it's my way of rewarding them. Access to buy a fashion item from you? An actual fashion item? Yes. Yes, an actual item. So in this case, the NFT, it allowed them that sort of utility you know, where, they're, where they are the only ones that have access and the ability to buy things from my collection or my specific collections. I got that. So this basically, um, the great science over here is that Big business, big retail is entering into this one and they're using tokenization to build sort of like a social currency for the people who like their items. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly it. And then with regard to do, doing that one, there's a, there's a physical and there's a virtual component that, you know, only if you got access online, can you get access to these offline brands, sort of like a limited edition only, yes. which only you, if you have a token, have, have the ability to get. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Okay, so in that example, no, for the NBA top shots, no, is that tokenized as well? So, for example, if you have an NBA token, only you have access to the actual card. Is there an actual version of the card or there's no actual version of the card? Yeah, so uh, the NBA right now is exploring different ways to provide that kind of utility. So one of the easiest, way easiest ways that they're able to do that is uh, for certain collectors that hit a certain threshold, they collect a certain set, or they own certain NBA Top Shot moments, they're actually invited to live games. They're, they're given I see. Uh, backstage access. They're, they're given interviews with players. So it's all... Okay, so, so but by utility. In other words, the utilities are all different. So para, you get a token, you get in exchange, sort of like a limited edition something. It can be a limited yes. edition. Only you can get this ticket, or only you can get this actual item, or only you can get... That, that's what drives it. The sort of like the lack... The lack, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's creating demand because there's a lack of a specific item or these items are only off for specific people. Yeah, and, and I think specifically, you know, RJ, I think the I mean, the better examples really just experiences. I think the items is a bit fleeting. You know, at, at some point, the novelty of that wears off, but it's just really these I see. online I see. and offline experiences that owning an NFT and being part of a community will get you. 
we're seeing just very early iterations of that. So, you know, exclusive events, you get invited to all of these uh, kinds of experiences. But, you know, as we move along and more businesses come in, all of these companies are going to be forced to be a little bit more creative, right, with how they provide this kind of utility. And, you know, I, I think we're only just at the beginning of that. Okay. Now, as we were speaking, though, we used Metaverse and we also used NFTs, sort of like in the same breath. But maybe I just want to clarify lang, is NFT the same thing as Metaverse or is NFT a, a component of the Metaverse? Yeah, uh, NFTs are components of the Metaverse. So you can think of the Metaverse as, you know, just the virtual world that you're in. And then you can think of NFTs as the assets and the items inside that world that people get to interact with. Okay. Uh, can you clarify what, exactly what non-NFTs mean? That's what I think what you call, you call it non-fungible tokens, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the easiest way really to describe it is that an NFT, uh, it's like a digital asset and it represents real-world objects or digital objects. It could be an art piece, could be music, uh, in-game items, videos. Uh, in some cases, it's virtual or actual real estate. So it's a, think of it as the online representation of uh, an item, whether that item is also a virtual good or if it's a, a, an offline or physical good. Okay. So if you look at NFT, it's sort of like a virtual item and it's becoming, you know, people are, are thinking that it, NFTs make you a, an instant multimillionaire, right? I mean, some, that's how some people's notion is, but just yeah. put up an <laughs> NFT that, that's tantamount to making money. But can you break that down a bit more for us? What exactly, you know, when you create an NFT, what exactly brings it to value? Because not all NFTs will have value. Some are, it's a bust, right? Yeah. So how do people better understand it, especially if you are an entrepreneur? Okay. So the the reason why you see all of these uh, news articles and videos about NFTs being sold for these exuberant prices is really because at the moment, you know, there are tons of people speculating on these assets. Right, so crypto in and itself is already a risky asset. You know, it's one of the riskiest things that you could possibly invest in. And then you have this kind of variation, right, of crypto in the form of NFTs that people really just speculate on. And the reason why it gets ridiculous is many, many times these NFTs are the prices of these NFTs are driven just primarily by sentiment, you know, primarily by hype, because enough people agree that this is a high value item thus the price just really increases and because most nfts have some sort of scarcity not everyone gets to own it right so you have that fomo you have that sentiment of people that just pour a ton of emotions into their purchasing decision and now you're left with these nfts that cost you know some of them cost thousands of dollars if not millions right and some people look at that in a in a bad light uh, and i can i can see why because again they're you know, for, for some people, there's no inherent value to, to owning one other than, you know, the ability to flex that you own one. But that's what makes it, to me, interesting also, right? Because uh, we see this a lot with luxury items, with, with art pieces that, you know, in all honesty, it is kind of ridiculous to own a, a million peso watch. But for enough people, it's important, right? Enough For enough people, it's, you know, what gets them into social circles and, and, for as long as people would always want to flex, you know, for as long as people are concerned with their status, both online and offline, I think we're not going to see the end of people speculating around NFTs. I see. So 
basically it's just the law of supply and demand and there's a, it's a speculative yeah. demand it's a speculative demand and basically the supply is limited because like you said it's FOMO that's that's what that's what creates that's what does increase the value of specific NFTs so right yes. now if you know where should an entrepreneur play in this field two ways to think about the value you can be the one creating the NFT and you can be the one buying the NFT as an entrepreneur so from both of those perspectives what should be the entrepreneur's mindset in creating and or buying Let's start with the creating first. Hmm. All right. So you were right when you said that for most small to medium-sized businesses, I think coming into and creating NFTs at the moment, it might not be the best use of your resources. I mean, if it's something that you would like to explore, something that you would like to, to build on, then, you know, by all means. But to me, it doesn't make sense for you to just you know pour all of your money into doing that if you're a small to medium-sized business. I think the better way to look at it right now is just, you know, if you become aware of it, if it's something that interests you, you know, take that next step and be a participant in the the current variations of these economies, right? So if you're a gamer, you know, pick up a play to earn game that's very popular now. Uh, if you're an art collector, you know, go take a look at all of these digital artists that are emerging, you know, pick out your favorite. If you're a sports junkie like me. Right, most major league sports in the world right now they have a variation of these collectibles, and just be and, and participate, right? Participate in the economy, and then you know once we become more mature, once people come into this space, I think you know that would be a better time to start looking at building and and creating projects in the NFT space. Okay, so that's the creation, and then in, on on the buying stage, like you said, it's it's a bit more speculative here right now. So is it a business that you recommend that? entrepreneurs get into in terms of the buying and selling of NFTs or it's something that they should just sort of, um, I guess, wait and see how, how that industry pans out. Because, you know, there, there are always two thoughts of mine, you know, strike while the iron is hot or, you know, wait until things are, you know, have cooled down and see the longer term potential for a specific project or for a specific product. Yeah, for many people, if their risk appetite is high enough, uh, and if you like the excitement, <laughs> then definitely, you know, NFT buying and selling and, and trading, you know, being in this space where uh, a lot of the speculation is happening, then, you know, that's a that's a great environment you know, to be able to kind of satisfy that risk appetite. But if you are conservative and, you know, you really don't have the money to spend or to speculate on, that there is wisdom in just, you know, standing in the sidelines and just waiting, you know. So to give you an example, the general art NFT market at the moment, it's at its lowest than it's ever been in the last, uh, like you say, the last eight to 12 months. So, you know, just earlier this year, the most popular art marketplace called OpenSea, that's the name of the platform. It was generating, you know, short of $3 billion, $4 billion in volume. Uh, but now the last two months, I think it barely just hit 200 million, 300 million because of the, you know, the, the background of uh, all of these macro factors, right? Crypto uh, going down back to uh, their previous lows. So it's really not the best space if you're, uh, if you're a conservative, no. Uh, but if you have a high risk appetite, you have money to spend and to speculate on, then this is a great place to be in. <laughs> Okay, so like again, it goes back to the risk appetite. Kumbaga, buyer yeah. beware na lang, right? That's basically yes. <laughs> what we're talking about over here when it comes to NFTs. Now, let's move into play to earn, play to earn, which is another part of, of the metaverse here as well. And, you know, and, and of course, it became popularized by, by Axie Infinity. And of course, Axie Infinity 
currently has, has its own set of challenges as well, right? Yeah. So uh, before we get into it, I think for those who haven't watched or listened to my episode on, on Axie Infinity, can you explain again, what does, what does play-to-earn mean, play-to-earn, and exactly what do you earn from a play-to-earn? Got it. All right. So it's just this basic, so play-to-earn games or blockchain games, many of them were built on the premise that gamers should be able to earn from the time that they spend playing the game. Right? So at the current variation of gaming right now, the only real value that you get is uh, it was it was fun, you were entertained, right? It was something to do when you were bored. And while that's fine, right? There's nothing wrong with just spending and having a fun time. The idea of blockchain games or play to earn games is that you should be able to gain financial value also. You should be able to capture financial value for the time that you put in playing the game. So come Axie Infinity, which is at the moment still the biggest NFT project in the world. It's still the the most successful play-to-earn game in the world by most metrics that we track. It became highly popularized here in the Philippines because you had people buying these gaming assets and then loaning them out uh, to players or uh, what we call scholars. And the scholars, they would earn by, you know, battling these monsters, uh, going into the adventure mode and making, you know, making money there. And the owner of that asset and the scholar would basically split whatever profit that they were able to make. At its peak, it was really crazy. It was all over the news. Uh, People Mm -hmm. were making tons of money out of it. But, you know, if you were, you know, just looking at the sidelines and, and you were seeing how ridiculous it was, you know, just being able to print money that way that you were... Absolutely right, because uh, it all came crashing down when more and more people came in, and it just you know it didn't work out economics wise. Right then, now you know you have this kind of sentiment or this bad perception around player in games, no, that you start to lose more money than you make if you participate <laughs> uh, in these kinds of games. Okay, so having said that, should again, no, but take again the entrepreneurial perspective. How should people perceive now? Should they still participate? Well, Number one, there are still a lot of people developing play-to-earn games. Yeah. And there are also people who still want to play play-to-earn games, right? So from that perspective, as the entrepreneur, how should they perceive, especially the tech entrepreneurs? Is it still a space that they should get into? Should they just sort of take a look at, okay, this is what Axie Infinity did. Let's sort of course correct what they did and then come up with our own unique model. And should people still be playing play-to-earn? Yeah, so... I think what, if, if there was anything positive that came from you know these last 12 months of uh, crazy play-to-earn games and, and all of the sentiment around it is that I think people have moved on from that sentiment of I just want to play a game and make money to this new kind of sentiment, right? So from play-to-earn, most games now are, are really pushing this ideology of play and earn where the first and, and main agenda really is just to play a game and have fun. And the earning Mm -hmm. should come secondary, right? Because I wouldn't say Axie was pushing out that narrative where this was only supposed to be money-making. It's really just what happened. People attached that label. People looked at Axie as just something that they could make money off. And, you know, it stopped being fun. So now many games are, again, pushing back against that and really just pushing out the idea that, you know, games that we're making, is they should be fun. And the earning should just be an extra thing, right? So now if you're a tech entrepreneur, uh, should you, you know, still invest in Axie? That's really just, again, for you to decide. It's definitely on the, the riskier side of things that you could put your money in. 
And again, if you have the appetite for that, you want to be able to participate in the economy that way, then, you know, by all means, it's a good idea in that sense, right? Because uh, you get to experience play and earn games and you get to satisfy your risk appetite, right? But again, same piece of advice. If it's not something that you're comfortable doing, you know, you, you don't want to be able to put your money in volatile places, then, you know, it's good to just step back and, uh, you know, let that thing, let, let the whole space unfold. But you know what, RJ, what's interesting, though, is many of these games now are coming up with free versions of their game, right? Because for a while, oh. for a while, you couldn't play the game without buying these uh, gaming assets, right? And that's where a lot of the volatility came from, that uh, I could buy this asset for X amount today. And because of the volatility, it could be worth 50% less tomorrow. Right, so but now many of these uh, games are creating free versions so that you can try it risk free, see if you like it, and then only when you decide that it's fun and something that you want to spend more time on, you buy uh, the gaming assets that typically come with uh, NFT games. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I've got an interesting question from somebody listening in. He seems to be related to you. Uh, from Georgie Azurin. Beyond Axi, <laughs> what are the promising play and earn platforms that you recommend? Yeah, so hi, Georgie. Thanks for listening. No? Beyond Axi, what, what are the promising play and earn platforms that you recommend? All right, so I'll name two examples. Uh, the first one, I, I am quite biased because I'm uh, an ambassador for the game. Uh, it's called Guild of Guardians. It's being built out by this amazing gaming studio called Immutable. It's a mobile-first game. It's going to be team-based, and it's the dungeon-style game where you know you have a couple of characters, you clear out a dungeon, and then you're you know you're able to upgrade and level up your team as you progress. Right, so that's really exciting. Uh, and again, no, just a little biased because I am an ambassador, but I tried the alpha version of the game. It's pretty fun, and the folks at Immutable are really competent. No, it's just it's being managed and being operated by industry experts and, and veterans. So you're definitely in good hands if you want to check that out. Uh, the other game that I'm super excited about also is called Illuvium. They have an open world. It's very similar to Pokemon, I, I would describe it, you know, where you collect all of these Illuvials, uh, so these characters, these creatures, and use these creatures to battle, capture land, etc. I was very fortunate enough to get into the alpha version of that also. I was invited by the founder. I was able to play it myself and like, wow, it's just, it's a great game. The graphics are amazing. The gameplay is fun. The first variation of the gameplay is fun. And again, it's also managed by competent folks. So, you know, those two games I'm, I'm really looking forward to. And I, I think they should be publicly available at the end of this year and early next year. And definitely those two games are at the top of my list. And these are now not anymore play to earn. These two games are mentioning this. These are the play and earn games. I guess this is that model for these two games. Yeah, that's the story that they're really pushing hard now to to kind of you know uh, to kind of help manage expectations that 
I think many of these games saw what happened to Axie. And, and while it's kind of unfortunate, no, it, it's just become a learning experience for the entire industry. Uh, so now they're really pushing out that whole agenda that this game is primarily fun. You're not supposed to be making a ton of money from this game. In fact, the money making should just be uh, a bonus, right? Uh, but first and foremost, the game is fun. And that's how they kind of want to be able to brand it. No? But time will tell, of course. A company will say one thing, users will say something else. No? So uh, we'll see. Uh, but right now, uh, that's, the, that's the current sentiment. Okay. How do you earn in your, in your play and earn? Where does the earning come from? Yeah, so it's the uh, same concept. It's the same concept. You know, you play these games uh, at the end of a round or a level. You earn uh, a coin or a token. That's uh, the in-game currency. And that token has uh, an equivalent value you know, in dollars or pesos because there's demand for it. So in, in the case, for example, of uh, Guild of Guardians, their uh, guild tokens, you can use these tokens to upgrade your heroes, buy inventory, buy weapons, upgrade your skill set. Uh, and it becomes valuable theoretically because you know people want to upgrade their teams, their, their inventory, and you know people are going to be selling the tokens that they earn from playing the game. Okay. So we've gone, we've run the whole gamut, but there's one more thing that's missing, and I think it's the big elephant in the room. But we'll talk, let's talk a bit more about crypto, uh, yeah. and, you know, because <laughs> you know, it, you know, because for people it's been different things. You know, sometimes uh, it's been used to scam people. Crypto has been used to scam people, and right now, basically, the reputation of crypto because of the current, uh, you know, the, the news about crypto hasn't been so great. But again, no, just so that we can simplify the discussion again. What exactly is cryptocurrency and how do you make money from cryptocurrency? All right. So the way that I would just describe it to somebody who uh, isn't quite familiar you know, is cryptocurrency is really, it's the equivalent of virtual currency. Right? Uh, it, it was made very popular by uh, Bitcoin, which is still the biggest and, and uh, arguably the most important cryptocurrency available. And the promise really of Bitcoin is to be able to decentralize payments. Right and and the store of your cash or your uh, your resources. So this was the the most prominent cryptocurrency to come out. And based on the white paper that they publish and the use case that they you know currently have, you have all of these other cryptocurrencies that have come out. You no, know, to try to replicate them in in the form of again just competing in and being able to pay uh, each other. Or in the form of different kinds of utilities. No? So uh, the second most popular cryptocurrency, Ethereum, while it's not typically used for payments, it's the technology that uh, powers most NFTs. Right? And it's built also on the same blockchain technology, on the same kind of promise and premise of uh, cryptocurrencies. Okay. Uh, and now, maybe just an explanation right now. Why is crypto... Experience some challenges, right? I understand there's a crypto company that is about to go, you know, that hasn't been able to pay a lot of its uh, creditors yeah, it's, right it's now. Yeah, a handful or, of or, those or companies the at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of the negative sentiment at the moment is really just driven by global macro factors, right? So you, you have the war in Ukraine and Russia still ongoing, and that's, you know, affecting supply chains. It's affecting the operations and logistics of many businesses in Europe. You have the impending recession in the U.S. Um, I, I think they're already technically in a recession. I, I'm not so sure if they've already declared that, but uh, based on their last figures that they published, uh, they're you know they're headed towards there. And and these kinds of other factors that it really just sets a 
I wouldn't say scary, but it just it puts a lot of institutions and businesses in in conservative mode where they will move away from risky volatile assets like cryptocurrencies and tech stocks and move into more reliable or conservative assets like bonds no, or uh, traditional stocks. So you have all of these macro factors in play. You have all of these institutions and big players and, and banks move their assets from riskier assets to conservative assets. And then you have all of these retail folks that, you know, because they're bleeding dry in their riskier assets, they're forced to either cut loss or move on also back into cash or into other assets also. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're seeing uh, such negative sentiment around crypto. No? And because of these factors and, and because of mismanaged crypto companies, you have companies like the ones that you mentioned earlier no, go out of business because they manage funds. They already manage funds you know, in the wrong way. And then you have the backdrop of you know, these global macro factors that are just putting pressure on riskier assets. And so it's just a perfect storm <laughs> for crypto no? and, uh, and the sentiment because of all of these things have just uh, become negative over the last few months. Okay. Now, despite all these different things, so I mean, the way that I look at it, We've covered different aspects uh, from non-fungible tokens, from NFTs to crypto and to play to earn. And you've kind of given to us both, I guess, the pros and the cons of each one. So now we're wondering, okay, given that one, I mean, there's a lot of problems, but there are a lot of opportunities also emerging. So having seen that space, no, where do you think entrepreneurs, especially Filipino entrepreneurs, whether they are tech entrepreneurs or people in other industries, in retail or, or food like myself, what are the opportunities that lie for them that you're seeing despite all these, uh, I guess, all these challenges in Web3? Yeah, so at the moment, no, and, and in the short term, it doesn't look really good. You know, the, the sentiment of many analysts, they're, they're still very bleak. They, they think that the, the worst is yet to come. Uh, and that's usually bad news for riskier assets like crypto. But one of the, the most amazing things to, you know, I guess just to conclude from the last bull run that we had is that people are using it, right? In the last kind of bull run that happened around crypto in, I think that was around 2017, 2018, before, you know, before it, it just quieted down. Many of it was just a concept, you know, it was just a small group of people that believed in something, right? And then it just, it fizzled out. But in this last bull run, you had so many people who did not own any crypto, that they did not participate in Web3, finally come into this space, right? So while... The sentiment and, and you know prices of your favorite cryptocurrencies aren't as high as they uh, they used to be. Use case and and bullishness, I think, is just at an all time high because now you have all of these projects emerge. Now you have all of these companies show you know regular folks how they can use crypto, how they can use NFTs, and I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited for it. And if you're an entrepreneur, no, I think participating and just you know, just taking a look at it. I think that's the best thing that you could do because at the end of the day, I think blockchain, I think Web3, I think all of these token-gated experiences, right? This is what's going to be the backdrop of most businesses. At the same way right now, the backdrop of businesses now are you know, social networks, uh, social media content. Eventually, you know, many businesses are going to move into this space. It's just going to be a natural thing. And the way that I see it, no, RJ, I'm, I'm in a very fortunate spot because... Uh, I feel like I'm where many people, many business owners and entrepreneurs were at in the late 1990s. You know, the mm-hmm. just before people came online, 
and all of the opportunities that, that came after that. I feel like I'm in the same spot. And, and if you're a businessman and you're looking for the next opportunity, I think there are tons to, to take advantage of in this space. No? And then the, the best part, if you're listening to this now, you're still kind of early. Right? It's not too late to join in. Uh, and in fact, I would argue that this is the best time to take a look at it. Now Now that the sentiment is at uh, more manageable levels and uh, you know people are a little bit more uh, reasonable. <laughs> I guess like, like they often say, but in, in, during times of adversity, lies great opportunity. And these are one of the yeah. more adverse times for the industry. Let's just see. It's just people who are able to better read the science and understand how they turn how they turn that adversity into a business opportunity, which really counts at this point in time. And for those who want to check out, of course, the Mega Maxi website, that's www.themegamaxi.com. Again, that's www.themegamaxi.com. Uh, you know, I didn't realize you were talking for almost over an hour, Miggy, over here. And, you know, but, but people uh, you know, don't realize, you know, a lot of us in the backdrop of Miggy is really a serial entrepreneur. He's had his startup successes and failures, and he's had many along the way. Miggy, before we close out our discussion, maybe you can just share maybe... Three or four things that you've learned about, I guess, business, especially in the fast-paced life cycle of a startup. No? What can you share with people listening here right now who are getting into business and, and maybe things that you wish you knew uh, when you did get into your different entrepreneurial ventures? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So the first thing really is just to have an abundant or an abundance mindset. I think what makes many entrepreneurs successful, and especially the ones that you know I've observed and learned a lot from, these people, they, they just see the opportunity in everything. There's always a problem to be solved. There's always something that they can improve on. There's always something that they can innovate. And when you're constantly looking for opportunities, they just tend to present themselves. It's kind of like you know trying to look for a red car. right? You don't think about it, but the moment that I say, oh, look for red cars, now you just see it everywhere. It's, not, it, it's in your mind's eye all the time. And, and, I, and I think the same for opportunity as well. That's something that I just started to develop, no RG, because I, I wouldn't say that I, I've always had that. That was something that clicked for me a few years ago. And then just up to now, I, I, could, I continue to develop that ability right, to, to look at opportunities and to see what I can do better and what, what value I can give. Second thing is you know, surround yourself with crazy people. I'm very fortunate mm-hmm. that many of my social groups, they all like talking about business. They like talking about marketing. They like talking about NFTs and Web3. And it's great because, you know, some of my other friends, they're, they're not so much into these kinds of things and that's okay. But for me, you know, just to be able to grow and, and better myself, it's always just nice to be in an environment where everybody is, you know, bullish and excited about the same thing. So if, if that's something that you're looking to learn more of, surrounding yourself with the right people is key. And the last one is just, you know, very interestingly enough, uh, it's something that I just try to tell myself, just to have fun. I, I try not to take myself too seriously. It's really cliche, no, but life is short. So many opportunities to be you can take advantage of, so many experiences that you could have. And if you're not having fun in the process of you know trying to make money, trying to start these businesses, then you know, really, like what is it all for? Right? If it's not something that you enjoy doing. So I say that thinking about all of the things that I need to do right after this <laughs> after this talk. Uh, I know the uh, feeling. Just, I know the yeah. feeling, yes, exactly. <laughs> but that's just really it, right? Just try to find the joy and, and the fun in what you're doing because uh, really, I mean, that's that's part of the, the perks, right, of building and creating. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be exciting. It's supposed to be something that you want to do every day, something that you want to wake up to. You know? And uh, yeah, that's a choice, though. So it's not something that comes naturally to most people. Again, it's something that you can work on. Just find the joy in stuff that you do and uh, have fun. It's supposed to be fun. 
And having said that, talking about being a creator and you know being excited about what you do, Rab Cervantes here shares in our uh, chat box, Miggy Azurin is equal to the next Mark Cuban over here. Let's show that over there, <laughs> I, Mark. I hope uh, so. I hope so. <laughs> uh, and then the other comment from Rab Cervantes as well, very insightful, is be greedy when the market is fearful. Yeah. Uh, thanks again so much for sharing over here. Again, Miggy, thanks so much for guesting over here and joining us for the RG Ladesco podcast. For everybody listening, we will see you and we will hear from you in the next podcast again. Miggy, thanks again. RJ, thank you so much. Take care. Good night, guys. Thank guys. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.